Welcome to the February 2024 edition of Agribusiness News, brought to you by the Farm Advisory Service. Agribusiness News helps you to scan your horizons, prepare for industry changes, and keeps you abreast of the latest research and policy updates. Along with our regular monthly updates on policy briefs, arable beef, sheep and milk, in this edition we have sector overviews on farm economic data and soil management. We will also be bringing you news on the importance of calf management in the dairy sector and what to look out for when applying for a farm tenancy. Since the introduction of the Scottish Bovine Diarrhoea Scheme in 2010, instances of BVD have declined from 40% down to 9%, equating to a significant cost saving of between £20 to £70 per cow, proving that health can be wealth. To capitalise on this success through an industry-led partnership of livestock producers, vets and research bodies, the Scottish Government is now looking to eradicate BVD from Scotland. While this is viewed as an ambitious target, given that the BVD status for an individual animal or holding can be looked up on the Scott EID website, with time it should be an achievable one. With pressure on dairy margins continuing and tough times ahead, this month's Input Costs article highlights the importance of good calf management and how a bit of TLC can boost calf health, reduce costs of production and boost milk yields in the first lactation. Following the Australian trade deal last year, all eyes have been on the potential risk to the domestic sheep market from the land down under. However, with Australia firmly focused on expanding their trade with China, New Zealand's low prices are of greater concern, especially as we head towards peak demand periods around Eid and Easter. On a more positive note, with the DUP ending its two-year boycott of Stormont over post-Brexit trading agreements, this paves the way for new legislation to be put in place aimed at removing checks on goods moving both within the UK and remaining in Northern Ireland. This will pave the way to significantly reduce the current administrative burden when exporting goods to and from Ireland. And finally, while new tenancies are like hen's teeth, this month's Management Matters article discusses what landlords are looking for and how you can get ahead of the competition by planning in advance. Moving on to this month's policy briefs. Preparing for sustainable farming, the 2023 year grant claims, all carbon audits, soil analysis and or animal health and welfare claims for the scheme year 1st of January to 31st of December 2023 must be submitted by midnight on Thursday the 29th of February 2024. Full guidance on how to claim is available on the Preparing for Sustainable Farming portal on the Rural Payments and Services website. More details are available on the show notes. Under the new Rural Support Simplification and Improvement Scotland regulations, several changes will be put in place for the 2024 Basic Payment Scheme year, including a change to entitlements, whereby the two-year usage rule for entitlements will no longer apply. Up until last year, farmers and crofters could lose entitlements if they did not utilise some or all of their entitlements in the previous two years. For farmers and crofters wishing to transfer entitlements, the Entitlement Transfer Request Form will be simplified to three categories – temporary, permanent or inheritance. Businesses will no longer need to notify if the transfer is to be done with or without land. The siphon for transfer without land will no longer be applied. Please find the link for more information in the show notes. Since the introduction of the Scottish Bovine Viral Diarrhoea, BVD, Eradication Scheme in 2010, 
the percentage of cattle breeding herds with BVD has fallen from 40% down to 9%, estimated to equate to a financial benefit of £20 to £70 per cow per year. With the goal of eradicating BVD and also seeking to combat antimicrobial resistance, the Scottish Government launched an online consultation, a link for which can be found in the show notes. The consultation focuses on nine areas identified by the BVD Advisory Group where the scheme could be strengthened. These are number one, introducing minimum proportion testing for the BVD check test. Number two, reducing the compulsory BVD investigation, CBI, compliance period. Number three, introducing veterinary certification after compulsory BVD investigation. Number four, increasing the consequences of non-compliance. Number five, incorporating BVD compliance into single farm payments. Number six, increasing testing for calves of animals purchased in calf, otherwise known as Trojan cows. Number seven, delaying restrictions for BVD positive herds. Number eight, continuing no compulsory slaughter of persistently infected cattle, known as PIs. And finally, number nine, introducing more obligations for non-breeding herds. The rationale behind the potential incorporation of BVD compliance into single farm payments is to recognise the hard work that keepers undergo to meet BVD requirements. However, that said, it would also act as a carrot or a stick for those herds who currently don't comply with the scheme regulations. With the aim of seeking to reduce food miles and to support local food chains, the Scottish Government is replacing the Small Farm Grant Scheme with a new Small Producers Pilot Fund. Through the provision of training courses and web-based resources, the initial funding of £180,000 will help small food producers move to greener and more sustainable production methods. The funding will also support two small-scale abattoir projects. Please find a link to more information in the show notes. In continuing the food theme, the Scottish Government has published its proposal to improve access to healthy, locally produced food. The Good Food Nation Plan sets out six overarching outcomes for a good food nation, including access to safe, healthy, sustainable food, developing a thriving food culture, improving physical and mental health, promoting and supporting Scotland's food and drink sector, and building on Scotland's global reputation for high quality food. The Scottish Government has also launched an online consultation on the proposals. The consultation periods ends on the 22nd of April 2024. Please find a link for which in the show notes. From a support payment perspective, a key date to note is the 29th of February 2024 for all PSF grant claims including carbon audits, soil analysis and animal health and welfare plans. Moving on to arable. January closed out with a notable disconnect between the US and European markets, with Chicago wheat reporting modest gains fuelled by short covering. In contrast, both the UK and Paris wheat markets experienced further declines amid ongoing worries over Europe's trade balance with fresh easing in Russian prices. The UK feed wheat futures price for May 24 dropped on the 29th of January to £177 per tonne a £17 per tonne fall in the value since the start of the year. Similarly, from the start of the year, new crop futures for November 24 
have declined by £12 per tonne. European markets are facing challenges from intense competition in the Black Sea region, offset by the weakening of the euro against the US dollar, and the conflict in the Red Sea has heightened competition for grain sales in North Africa and Europe. Disruptions in Asian markets, typically reliant on Russian and Ukrainian grain, are favouring Black Sea supplies, putting additional pressure on European grain markets. Ukraine's improved export capabilities through an alternative Black Sea corridor look to further shape the market dynamics. Despite falling prices, UK feed wheat still remains around £10 per tonne too expensive to compete for an export market share and season-to-date exports, July to November, are down by 71% compared to the same period in 2022-23, as traditional EU export destinations like Spain and Ireland continue to find cheaper offers from alternative sources. The forecast for wheat ending stocks in the UK now predicts a 30% increase from the previous year due to this lack of export competitiveness. This gives rise to a rather unusual situation of having larger end-of-season stocks despite a smaller crop. These wheat ending stocks are projected to be 2.552 million tonnes, up from 1.953 million at the end of 2022-23. Imports will be considerably up too, expected to reach 1.725 million tonnes in 23-24, with a focus on high-protein milling wheat due to domestic quality concerns and uncertainties surrounding the 2024 crop. The lower-than-expected domestic market in the feed and ethanol sectors has also been contributing to the fall in UK feed wheat prices. The option to carry all crop into the next season becomes increasingly attractive for those that can do so, with the differential between the May 24 and the November 24 futures price reaching £15 per tonne. As old crop feed barley prices continue to decline, the historically wide price differential with wheat continues to be maintained. Although barley remains competitive in feed formulations and compounder demand has reappeared, particularly for pre-harvest positions, domestic demand is struggling amid a surplus due to lack of export pace. Going forward, new crop feed barley generally remains attractive given its discounted value against wheat. With rapeseed values increasing substantially in mid to late January as European crushers sought further cover, this triggered some farm selling in the UK at around £350-£360 per tonne ex-farm. Meanwhile, Australian growers have been resistant to selling at current prices, influenced by delays in transit time across the Red Sea. Bean values remain stubbornly fixed but are facing increasing challenges as cereal and imported proteins continue to reduce in price potentially pushing them out of mainstream rations. Despite indications of unsold tonnage, the balance sheet suggests selling beans at the current firm prices could be a prudent move for growers, even for later delivery in the year. Beef price holds strong at £5 per kilo dead weight. The relative stability for prime cattle prices has continued into 2024. Prime cattle prices have started strongly for the year at nearly 9% above levels 12 months ago, and 26 to 27% above the five-year average. For week ending 20th of January, R4L grading steers averaged 504 pence per kilo deadweight at Scottish abattoirs, with a 15 to 20 pence more per kilo for premium breeds. Looking ahead, it is highly likely that the 2024 beef trade 
will be determined by cattle supplies. QMS suggests that prime cattle supply in 2024 will be similar to 2023. However, as the year progresses, availability is set to tighten as the reduced spring calf crop of 2023 begins to reach the market. Store cattle sales have started very strongly, with some excellent prices being received throughout January. As finishers look to refill sheds, and with numbers tight for heavier continental types, many are averaging over 330 pence per kilo live weight. After an expensive 2022-23 winter for calf producers, prices being received in the store ring are, for many, where they need to be, offering beef farmers an incentive to retain breeding cattle. Last year's high input costs left many questioning the profitability of suckler cows. However, recent prices paid for stores mean that the finishing price needs to remain firm or finishers could be left with little or no margin this spring and summer. Given the current store prices, those sitting with stores should be calculating feedstocks and looking at whether to sell now or hold off until the spring. Store sales have once again been strongly supported by English buyers, attracted by the availability of stores bred from beef suckler cows and the low risk of TB compared with the south of England. Although the number of cattle leaving Scotland to be finished in England had dipped from the high levels of 2022, it rose again in 2023. However, with Scottish stores being sold into England to be finished, the supply for Scottish abattoirs will tighten further. Cull cow prices have shown a seasonal rebound as consumers opt for the lower value cuts and mints as Christmas card credit bills need to be paid. As a result, cull cow trade should remain fairly stable in the coming weeks. With big numbers of cull cows going through markets across Scotland, the realisation that cull cows are no longer a by-product, but actually a valuable product, has seen farmers look to maximise returns and re-evaluate culling and replacement policies, which should result in more efficient herds. With the spring bull sales in progress, for those purchasing new stock bulls, please refer to the FAST website for useful pointers post-purchase to help manage your new investment. Please find details in the show notes. Let's talk about sheep. The 1st of January 24 saw year two of the Australian Free Trade Agreement begin. We are 30,556 tonnes of sheep meat can enter the UK with no additional tariff costs to exporters until the end of December 24. As a reminder, year one was a short year from May through to December 23, with around half of the allowance at 14,726 tonnes. While in 2023, figures from Meat and Livestock Australia show that Australia exported a record-breaking total of 326,000 tonnes of lamb and just over 209,000 tonnes of mutton, only 2% of the exported lamb tonnage came to the UK. With a year-on-year increase of lamb exports of 30%, equating to 67,000 tonnes, and mutton exports increasing by a staggering 70%, equating to 97,500 tonnes, China is Australia's largest market. The second largest export market in 2023 for Australia was the Middle East and North Africa, where a 63% increase in volume over 2022, an increase of around 96,000 tonnes of sheep meat, which is roughly three times the total UK quota. While sheep flocks are declining in many countries, Due to a combination of an increasing global population and demand for protein, in contrast, the Australian flock is increasing. 
With a lower lamb price compared to other exporting countries in 2023, it is clear to see why importing countries such as China and the Middle East have increased their imports of Australian lamb. As Australian sheep producers struggled with drought conditions in the third quarter of 2023, this stimulated more sheep being brought forward for market due to people destocking. This high number of sheep coming forward severely affected their end price, with a low of 220 pence per kilo in September. However, at the end of November, start of December 23, the Australian price recovered and has overtaken the New Zealand price. With countries such as China and the Middle East expanding their imports from Australia, with a low New Zealand lamb price of 3.37 euros per kilo for the week ending the 20th of January 2024, compared to a Great Britain price of 7.1 euros per kilo, this could mean that an increasing level of New Zealand lamb is targeted towards the UK in the coming months. Closer to home, we are approaching a time of high demand for sheep meat with the Muslim fasting festival of Ramadan looking to commence on the 10th of March, with the completion of this month-long fasting ending with Eid on the 9th or 10th of April, as well as Easter being on the 31st of March. Unfortunately, this also offers an opportunity for New Zealand to target our supermarket shelves and compete with our homegrown produce. Looking ahead, is 2024 going to be the year for lamb? This year so far, the prime market has been very similar to 23. From a numbers perspective, DEFRA data has shown that there was around a million less lambs in the national flock in 2023 compared to 2022. Not surprisingly, there were less door lambs sold in 2023 compared to 2022. So a low carryover of hogs into 2024, this should drive spring prices. Currently, the store ring is at a premium, with lamb values being around 20% higher at the start of the year, showing confidence in the sector. While the New Zealand lamb may interfere with our Easter and Ramadan market, the European export market demand is strong, which should keep prices at a premium through hog trading. Now let's move on to why farm economic data will be influencing future decisions. For many years, the Scottish Government followed the requirement of EU membership to report on national agricultural economics directly to the EU. This involved recruiting over 400 farms in Scotland to participate in the Farm Business Survey. This data gathering informs the iteration of the CAP as well as delivering economic insights for governments on the economic viability of farm businesses, providing the evidence base to inform agricultural policy decision-making. It also delivers a national group average for business benchmarking. When we look at the EU legislative transformation from Farm Accounts Data Network to Farm Sustainability Data Network, the EU is concerned primarily about measuring and monitoring four key themes. The first, nutrient use and management, the second, biodiversity, the third, generational renewal, and the fourth, market integration. The EU focus on generational renewal reflects the oft-observed ageing agricultural workforce statistic, a global agricultural and food production problem for which Scotland is no exception. However, standing still is not an option. It will be of huge interest to see how European policy develops to address securing the workforce for the future of the industry. There is a wider concept here though. Businesses, agricultural or otherwise, are now 
not only measured by their economics. As primary producers, farm businesses interact with the Earth's natural resources to produce food, but are also managing the land for a new range of outcomes, many of them environmental, and which have a lot of potential to deliver financial value. Further to this, the supply chain is now driving significant change and is looking for ways to support its suppliers to help them deliver on legislative commitment for Scope 3 emissions reporting coming in 2025. Managing and implementing changes in farm business systems to respond to the new sustainability model comes with its pressures. Its importance in policy development should not be understated, not least to adapt to changing business pressures from the supply chain, but also the industry's responsibility to demonstrate value to its consumers. Governments have the financial resources to invest in emissions reduction measures achievable on farm and can support producers on a journey to deliver the carbon and nature value that can be created with changes to management practice on farm. However, this is not just a financial investment, but also an investment of time and personal resource on behalf of the owners and managers in that farm businesses, so it is not as straightforward as it sounds. Following Brexit, this legislative reporting to the EU is no longer required. So why is it important to continue to track EU priorities for its farm-level data gathering? For a start, Scottish Government has stated ambition to remain aligned with the EU, but also there is an opportunity to observe their progress on sustainability measurement and monitoring and what impact their subsequent policy interventions have on the agricultural industry in the European Union. As Scottish farmers and growers grapple with complex sustainability issues, it can be useful for primary producers to understand the international perspective, both for insights as to what the emerging EU legislative issues are, but also for potential solutions that can be translated into the Scottish scenario. From a Scottish Government perspective, the purpose of continuing government data gathering on farms is to deliver evidence to inform policy decision making, helping policy to support activities on farm that deliver government aims and goals around food production, environmental improvement and addressing legislative commitments. It also informs the provision of advisory services to farmers and should deliver data for farms to benchmark their performance against all measures of sustainability. The Scottish Government has recently published new experimental statistics on Scottish agricultural's emissions data and nitrogen use on farm. While still at very, a very early stage in the development process, it is an important one as it begins to address the farm-level data gaps found in emissions data, especially around quantification of the losses of nitrogen within farming systems. Tough times still ahead for the dairy sector. While milk prices are starting to move in the right direction, cost of production remains high and milk volumes are increasing as we head into spring. Equally, although the recent global dairy trade auction showed positive signs, the domestic dairy commodity prices only rose for mild cheddar. The latest milk production data from AHDB shows that the GB milk output for December was 1,121 million litres 4.6% more than November's volume and on a par with December 2022. Daily deliveries were 32.82 million litres for the week ending the 20th of January. This was 0.6% below the previous week and 1% less than the same week in 2023. 
UK milk production for December was 1,223 million litres, 5.4% more than in November 23. The DEFRA average UK milk price for December 23 was 37.83 pence per litre, up just 0.02 pence per litre from November, but 27% lower than December 22. The main Scottish milk buyers either held or slightly increased their milk price for February. Please note that the following prices are in pence per litre. First Milk Manufacturing, 37. Muller, Muller Direct Scotland, 36.25. Graham's, 35. Arla Farmers Manufacturing, 37.58. Lactalis Fresh Milk Company, 34. The latest wholesale prices for dairy commodities for the week beginning the 25th of December 23 to the 15th of January 24 only returned a positive price movement for mild cheddar, up £90 per tonne, equivalent to 3% on the previous month. There was no change in the butter price. Cream and skimmed milk powder were down 2% and 3% respectively, due to little trade in the post-holiday period and buyers reluctant to purchase too far ahead as we approach the period of increasing milk volumes heading into the spring. As a result, the market indicator of actual milk price equivalent was down 0.51 pence per litre and the milk for cheese value equivalent increased by 1.17 pence per litre. The latest global dairy trade auction, 16th of January 24, returned a fourth consecutive rise in the average price across all products sold, up 2.3%, to $3,493 per tonne, butter showed the biggest change up 5.8% to $5,906 per tonne, and the skimmed milk price and cheddar prices were also up 1.2% and 1% respectively. Milk price predictions for the year ahead vary. IFCN have optimistically suggested the milk price will hit 40 pence per litre by June. However, Andersons in their Outlook report for 2024 predict by the end of 2024, the average milk price calculated by DEFRA will unlikely to be above 36 pence per litre. With margins under pressure, while the cost of borrowing still remains high, keeping borrowing under control will continue to be challenging. Ideally, with a milk price of 36 pence per litre and assuming an extra 3 pence per litre income from culls, calves and other revenue, giving a total income of 39 pence per litre, Rent and finance costs should be no more than £6 per litre, which equates to around 15% of total output. NMR have released their latest key performance indicator report, which benchmarks data from 500 Holstein Friesian recorded herds for the year up to the 31st of August 23. The reported key benchmarks for production, fertility and health were average age at first calving, 804 days, equivalent to 26.7 months. The lifetime milk per cow per day averaged 12.7 kilos, up from 10.5 kilos in 2010. The median calving interval was 394 days, 30 days shorter than in 2010. The average instance of mastitis was 22 cases per 100 cows per year, and it was reported that 70% of herds at a somatic cell count below 200,000 cells per millilitre. A link to the full report, including benchmark data for the top 25% of herds, can be found in the show notes. The methane-reducing additive Bovir from DSM Firminic has finally gained authorisation for use in the UK, 
proven to reduce methane immediately. On by average 30% in dairy cows, the additive should be available for use later this year. Now let's move on to our sector focus on soil management. The Phoenix long-term experiment is part of the ACE Aberdeenshire Crop Experimental platform. It is based around a pH gradient experiment which evolved from the original Woodlands Field pH plots established in 1961 at SRUC Crabson Campus in Aberdeenshire. The plots had an eight-course lay arable rotation superimposed across a pH gradient that ranged from soils adjusted to a target pH of 4.5 through to those with a target pH of 7.5 in 0.5 increments. However, in 2021, the field where the experiment was located was destined to be developed for housing, so a decision was made to move the experiment, all 450 tonnes of it, as there is still much to learn about the impact of soil pH on crop productivity and nutrient use efficiency, especially in relation to nutrient recycling and the soil and root microbiomes. All of these aspects are increasingly relevant as policy shifts towards environmentally sensitive approaches to food production and carbon audits. The move also allowed the research team to redesign the experiment to enable the soils with a 60-year history of pH adjustment to be compared to soils that were being adjusted more rapidly from around a pH of 6 to the same target soil pH in paired plots. It also allowed the team to modify the rotations to compare different cropping systems across the pH gradient. A seven-year lay arable rotation, a five-year arable-only rotation, as well as permanent ryegrass and permanent mixed herbal lay beds. The redesign also enabled SRUC to introduce more diverse arable crops such as field beans in the rotation, highlighting a desire by many farmers to move away from soybean imports and to produce their own homegrown protein, especially given the associated nitrogen fixing and soil health attributes. Equally, the mixed herbal lay with its inclusion of a range of forage legumes within the sown species, provides similar relevance to the grassland components of the cropping systems. While it is still early days of the reinvigorated Phoenix experiment, funded through the Scottish Government RESAS programme, it is already clear that the pHs of the relocated soils have been maintained and their paired counterparts are now starting to adapt from the pH 6 towards their new target pHs along with an associated impact on the microbial communities and the different crops. If you can maintain good soil structure, drainage and an appropriate soil pH, you're well on the way to having a successful cropping system. Ideally, soil pH would be optimised across the rotation, allowing all crops to grow well. Growers may give more attention to soil used to grow crops of higher value or those that are delivering greater public goods. Example, legumes with the potential to reduce nitrogen fertiliser requirements later in the rotation, but this isn't always the case. A past report based on the Soil and Nutrient Framework Farms 2016-2018 indicated 47% of soil samples were less than pH 5.8, 35% were between pH 5.8 and 6.2, and 18% were above pH 6.2. There will be a cost-benefit threshold at which the cost of liming beyond a certain pH will provide no benefit to yield, and this can even reduce it, and also yield penalties if the pH is too low. If the soil pH is not optimised, fertiliser and other agrochemicals that are applied during the cropping season are unlikely to be used efficiently, 
leading to undesirable consequences in terms of cost benefit and the potential environmental degradation. Linking into this is the Scottish Government's Preparing for Sustainable Farming, which focuses on incentives to help farmers and crofters understand their carbon emissions and sequestration. It also identifies recommendations that can lower these emissions and increase efficiencies. Soil pH testing, a key component of the Soil Sampling and Analysis Grant. If you enjoy agribusiness news, why not try one of our other Farm Advisory Service podcasts? The most recent episode of Natural Capital considered funding and finance with two guest speakers from HSBC, Steve Dunkley, Regional Agricultural Director, and Martin Hansen, the Head of Agriculture. An opportunity to hear their views on green finance as they share their experiences and discuss projects which they are involved in. Let's move on to calf management. The dairy heifer calves born today will be in the milking herd in two years' time. However, a recent study using BCMS data has shown that the calf mortality rate in the UK in dairy bred calves was 6%, which is around double the industry target of less than 3%. Combine this with the percentage of dairy heifer calves that don't reach first calving, estimated to be 15%, and already there is a lot of loss potential in the system. Therefore, it is important that we get the management of calves right to minimise the losses. One of the most vital stages of a calf's life is ensuring that it consumes colostrum as soon as possible after birth. Not only is colostrum an energy source for the calf, but it also contains antibodies which are vital to prevent disease in those first stages of life. A survey of Scottish dairy calves showed that 14% had failure of passive transfer, abbreviated to FPT. This is due to poor absorption of colostrum immunoglobulins. Calves with FPT have a higher instance of morbidity and mortality, as well as long-term effects on productivity. A European study estimated the cost of FPT to be around €60 per calf, equivalent to around £52 in sterling. One of the many potential reasons that FPT can occur can be down to a delay in feeding colostrum. It has been shown that a delay in colostrum feeding also delays the colonisation of beneficial bacteria in the intestines of the calf. Therefore, it is important to remember the three cues of colostrum. Quality, quantity, quickly. In recent years, there has been an increase in the number of dairy farmers testing the quality of colostrum produced on their farm and there are a number of practical methods that could be used, one being a BRICS refractometer. Calves should be fed colostrum from a BRICS reading of greater or equal to 22%. In terms of quantity, the general rule of thumb is 10% of body weight, which can equate to 3-4 to litres. However, it is also vital to ensure that the colostrum being fed to the calf is as clean as possible, that is to minimise bacterial contamination and proliferation. Also, to feed the calves as quietly as possible to maximise the rate of absorption. Following good colostrum management procedures should be regarded as money in the bank when it comes to calf rearing. Maintaining good health is always a goal throughout the pre-weaning period for calves. The two main diseases amongst calves are diarrhoea and respiratory disease. An episode of diarrhoea has an estimated cost of £58 and a respiratory disease of £43 per case minimum. There has also been a lot of research conducted into long 
long-term consequences of having respiratory disease as a calf. One such area has been in milk production in the first lactation. A meta-analysis of the various research studies has shown that respiratory disease as a calf will lead to 121.2 kilogram reduction milk production in the first lactation, with the range being 70 to 525 kilos. Based on a farm gate milk price of 35 pence per litre, this is already approximately £42 lost income in that lactation. After colostrum has been fed to the calf, there is great debate as to what to feed from that point onwards. Some people will feed whole milk, while others will feed milk replacer until weaning. There is also now a growing interest in feeding transition milk, that is the milk from the second, third and fourth milking until it can go into the bulk tank, so that the calf can gain from the residual benefits of this milk. Advice on calf nutrition is constantly changing in light of research that is evolving in this area. It wasn't that long ago when the industry was being advised to move away from feeding calves 4 litres of milk to 6 litres of milk. As there has been a lot of work carried out that shows feeding calves more milk in the pre-weaning stage does result in an increase in milk production in the first lactation, the advisory rate is now upwards of 8 litres. There are so many aspects of calf management that need to be considered to ensure that the young animal goes on to a full and productive life and to provide a return on time and money invested in getting it to that stage, especially when the cost of rearing a dairy heifer from calf to 24 months of age has been estimated to be on average £1,761. Like the age-old saying goes, if you look after them, they will look after you. Finally, we will move on to management matters and to tenancies. Across Scotland, there are limited opportunities to enter farming ventures, in part driven by land prices and due to less tenancies becoming available. When a tenancy does become available, there are traditionally one of the following. Grazing seasonal licences, short limited duration tenancies, modern limited duration tenancies. Also more recently introduced, there are repairing tenancies and contract farming agreements. Finding a tenancy opportunity can prove challenging. The Scottish Land Matching Service offers those both seeking and offering tenancies an opportunity matched up. It is also worthwhile putting your name in with estate factors and rural markets. It is also amazing what the power of social media can achieve. Please find link to the Scottish Land Matching Services in the show notes. When invited to apply for a tenancy, it is important to be concise and grammatically accurate. Most applications can be submitted digitally, so use Word and spell check to help. Remember to write about yourself. The landlord wants to know what type of person or persons are applying, so include your background and experiences in farming. You may be asked to provide references from previous landlords or industry peers who can provide character references. You may also be asked how you would farm the property if you were successful and what your future aspirations are. For longer term tenancies, you may also be asked to provide a business plan. You may be given a template to follow or you can approach the likes of SEC to assist with the preparation. It is also important when applying for a tenancy that you are fully aware of the financial obligations expected of the tenant and whether you can service those costs. Having a chat with an accountant or banking advisor is recommended. You may also want to consider registering with a solicitor as you may want to have them look over any potential tenancy agreements, particularly for the longer term ones. 
It is important as a tenant that you fully understand the terms of the agreement, especially if there is a break clause which can remove the pressure if a venture doesn't work out. When letting a property, a landlord or their factor are looking for a tenant who has the skills and enthusiasm to run the property, whether that's an upland hill farm, an arable unit or a dairy unit. Finances are a big contributor. So also is a good working relationship between the landlord and tenant. In some situations, a landlord may favour a new entrant due to the opportunity available to put in an application to the National Reserve for entitlements. In the current climate, many farms still require the single farm payment to help pay rent, especially in the first few years. On a final note, a mention needs to go to the changes to the agricultural policy in 2025. Presently, there is nothing to contravene any of the aforementioned, but caution should be exercised when making any major commitments. Please find links to additional information in the show notes. Thanks very much for listening to this audio edition of February 2024 Agribusiness News. Remember to like Agribusiness News to get notified of future episodes of this monthly podcast. This edition was edited by myself, Christine Beaton, and included articles by Christine Beaton, Mark Bowser Gibbs, Sarah Balfour, Kirsten Williams, Sasha Grierson, Lorna McPherson, Robin Walker, David Bell, and Jennifer Galloway. Presented by myself, Christine Beaton, and produced by Alistair Trail. This podcast is part of the Scottish Farm Advisory Service and produced in association with the Scottish Government. <laughs>